0: All right, got your notes out, ready to go? You um, just finished Poetics and the first third of Lost World, and this week your only actual assignment is to finish The Lost World. So you have to finish the entire book by Tuesday. And if you want to get an early start on your next reading, um, you can begin reading the Apocrypha, because you'll be uh, finishing up the Apocrypha next week. And um, we have some copies of it, but you can also... I am find it online pretty easy, yes. How do you spell that? Ask me a difficult question like that. Let me see, A-P-O-C-R-Y-P-H-A. That's my best stab. It's Greek. All right, well, let's get started. Um, Who has finished The Lost World? Has anyone finished The Lost World, Jude and Addie? Anyone else? But you all read one-third of it, so you kind of have an idea of what's about to take place. All right. Have they made it to the Amazon jungle yet and discovered anything? I don't want to spoil it for you. Okay, not yet. All right. Well, one of the interesting things about The Lost World is that it is a what-if story. It is what is called a, a um, thought experiment. A thought experiment. And I love what-if stories. And maybe you can think of a few. You know, what if Adam and Eve would have never eaten of the fruit of the tree in the garden? I mean, what if? Kind of interesting, right? What if sin had never entered into the world? Or what if Jesus didn't come in uh, the year, you know, 2,000 years ago, but came in 2023 to Lafayette? That would be interesting. <laughs> or what if uh, what if when we landed on the moon, we actually left some people there and they've been? Oh, or what if we didn't land on the moon? Interesting. Right. Or what if there are parallel universes where there is a parallel Nick and a parallel Jackson? <laughs> Or what if the flood, of course the flood was global by the way, but what if the flood wasn't global and there was some pre-flood, you know, anti deluvian civilization that had been forming out there and we discovered it and I don't know what it would be like with Nephilim and giants and talking snakes. That'd be pretty cool. I would read that story. I would read that story. All right. You got any ideas? What if Joe Biden was actually yeah, what if Joe Biden wasn't a necromanced uh, lizard king? Yeah, that's a good one. What, um, yes, Benjamin? What if our country stayed Christians for... Oh, what records? if our country hadn't apostatized? Yeah, that'd be nice. What if the ancient Egyptians really were in talks with aliens, but those aliens are actually demons? Yeah. And that's how they built the pyramids. I'd like, I'd read that story too. Right. Well, anyway... What if stories are a lot of fun and this is a what if story, a thought experiment. And the thought is basically what if evolution is true. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, that's your author. He was knighted in England in 18, well he was born in 1859, eventually knighted. And he's born, what's interesting about his birth is he's born the same year of Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, when it was published. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a devout evolutionist. And he wrote this story basically saying, you know, what if evolution is true? If evolution is true, then would it not be safe to assume that somewhere on this planet, some of the species that we think to have gone extinct might still not be extinct? I mean, what if there is some secluded region where there are still, quote unquote, cavemen? grunting and knuckle-dragging and and hitting their wives over the head with clubs? What if there are still pterodactyls swooping down and stealing uh, people's sandwiches? What if the animals didn't go extinct? Because if you think about evolution, it's random, right? There's no guided providence. There's no God. There's no purpose or telos to history. It's just random chance. And so who's to say that... All the animals that have gone extinct go extinct in every place. Perhaps they exist in a parallel universe. Or perhaps they exist on another planet. Or perhaps they exist in the Amazon rainforest. Which in the 1800s was essentially the same as the moon to us. It was very um, very wild, untamed, and uncharted. And so he writes this whole story. A what-if story. And... um, he, uh, speaking about him a little bit more, he was an, an, a very important author. He was essentially the J.K. Rowling of his day. Y'all know J.K. Rowling? Wrote uh, what? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. That's right, Harry Potter. Or the, or the Tolkien who wrote Lord of, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That's right. So he was the J.K. Rowling of the late 1800s. Very famous. Very famous. He was a spiritualist. He was an evolutionist. He was involved in uh, politics later in his life, but one of his most famous works are um, the, the stories of Sherlock Holmes. You all read a Sherlock Holmes novel or seen a movie or something like that? That was his famous character, wrote over 60 stories, but one of his other most famous stories is The Lost World, an adventure tale a thought experiment about a lost world in the Amazon jungle. And I bet you could probably guess what movies and books and stories today have their lineage in this story, The Lost World. Jurassic Park, maybe? Jurassic Park, absolutely. The center of the earth. Ooh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, yes. Uh, well, Journey to the Center of the Earth is a simple is also a what if story. You know, and what if stories oftentimes need a what-if setting, like the center of the earth. We're going to talk about setting in a second. Um, Any others? How about King Kong? Have you all heard of King Kong? Yeah, there, King Kong, that's right. King Kong, Jurassic Park, all these come from The Lost World, one of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's most famous works. Now, the reason it is uh, so significant is because in uh, Doyle's time, Most of Western civilization had not yet apostatized to the degree that it is apostatized to this day. Most people still thought the idea of man coming from ape-like creatures was absurd. Most people, even if they weren't born-again Christians or members of a church, they believed that God was the creator. They may have had a different conception of God than we do, not believing in the Trinity necessarily, but the idea that all of life came from some amoeba in a swamp it was absurd to them. But Doyle believed it. And he, uh, he wanted to persuade people of evolution. And he found it very interesting, you know, what it took to persuade people. You know, um, <clears throat> why was evolution not plausible to the common man? So you'll know if you've started the story already that the uh, professor Challenger, he he demonstrates to the to the media and to a, a crowd of people what is he showing them, right in front of their face. All the evidence. He's showing them a pterodactyl arm, the bone of it. But people go insane and, and people are incredulous. And so Doyle he's Doyle's kind of telling the story of what can it, what does it take to get all of these rubes, these hayseed Christian Hicks these backward people, to believe in the truth of evolution. So he was a a Darwinist, and he was one of the earlier um, acceptors of Darwin's um, theory. And in Doyle's day, and um, still even to some degree today, (coughs) scientists were feverishly looking for evidence of evolution. See, if Darwin's theory is true, he he proposed that at some point in time, they would have to find skeletal remains or fossils of a transitional species between ape and man. And so scientists in Doyle's day were feverishly looking for this particular evidence. And every once in a while, they would find some skeleton or some skull or some tooth. And the media would go nuts. We finally found it. If you put it into the language of this novel, we found the lost world. We've, we've discovered the proof of evolution. There's dinosaurs running around out there. Well, they found the bones, but every time people would find the bones, you know, it turned out to be a pig or it turned out to be just some other species of ape or some other human, you know, humans with slightly larger heads than other humans. Right? And he was, he was one of the first uh, people, basically, to write a, a novel that mirrored this search for the proof of evolution, searching for the lost world, all right? The main characters, let's go ahead and see if you can uh, rattle them off. They're all based on, or most of them are based on real people in his life. Professor, uh, Professor Challenger, what's he like? He's got a hot temper, he's angry, he's mean, yes, what else? Bold, courageous, or cowardly and timid? Bold. Very bold, very bold. Does he mind everyone hating him? No. no. Does he mind having a bad reputation? No. no. He stands against the world. He is the courageous scientist who follows the evidence, even if all these hayseed-hit Christians don't believe it. That's kind of the, the theme of this story, right? And so you can still enjoy the story even if you, if you don't swallow all the propaganda. But he is like standing up, he's brave, and, and that's commendable, right? unfortunately the the thoughts behind this story are, are just not true. But puts his wife on the seat of penance. He puts his wife on the seat of penance, yes, which is a pretty pretty <laughs> funny scene. Right? Couldn't get away with that these days. He's very principled, he doesn't mind being ridiculed, he's focused, he's ambitious, he's shaped like a bulldog, he's very powerful and strong. And then there's John Roxton. And Roxton is—he's the Batman of the story. He's a bad mama jama. He's a hunter. He's a trapper. He's, of course, he's wealthy, and his home is decorated with—with the—the um, remains and the heads of all the wildlife that he's captured and, and hunted. He's also a very principled man. <clears throat> And then there's Ned, or Edward Malone, Ned. He's the narrator. He's balanced. He's sensible. He's a journalist. He's open to the truth. All he needs is to be able to see it with his own eyes. And if he sees it with his own eyes, it doesn't matter what the Bible says, or religion, or the media, or popular opinion. If he sees it with his own eyes, he's going to believe it. He's open to new ideas. He's sort of the personification of the new age, of the progressive man, and what what Doyle wanted people to be like. Be open to questioning tradition and questioning the truth that was handed down to us, open to new ideas to discovering the lost world. And then there's Professor Summerlee, who if you'll pay close attention to, Doyle is mocking the whole time as, as kind of like a pastor or a theologian. He's frail and skinny because he never worked with his hands. Little, little uh, squirrely. He's uh, negative and cynical and uptight. He's not very likable. And he doesn't believe in the lost world or in the, quote, truth until literally a pterodactyl steals his lunch. Then he's, like, open to it. That's Professor Summerlee. All right? And do you yet know what all of these guys go off to do? I haven't got there in the story but they go on a journey and you can probably figure it out. It's the title gives it away. All right. Good. All right, well let's get into setting, setting and summary. Or, who can tell me the, the six elements of a successful story according to Aristotle's poetics? Or maybe we can all do it together. Yes. Can we listen. Huh? Plot. Plot? Come on. Let's go. Cause and, characters. Ca- cause and effect is a, a, an element of plot that makes it a, a good plot, but that's not one of the main six elements. Okay. Plot, characters, thought, and diction, thought, diction and song, and song and staging or song and spectacle. Very good. Now what was thought? Remember thought is what we use. We use the phrase themes, like the big themes. Like, what is the theme of Moana? Rebellious daughter. I'm sorry? Rebellious daughter. Yeah, go against tradition, go against your parents, go against God's Word, and find the true self by following your heart. I haven't ever even seen it, but I'm just guessing. Am I close to it? Yes. You know? And, and which one of the Disney movies can you follow your heart into being a different gender? Mulan. Is that Mulan? That's Mulan. I get those mixed up. Now, I've never seen any of those movies. Um, but the thought, the themes of those movies are obviously demonic and stupid. Um, but this this uh, Lost World, it has a theme too, and I've already kind of given it. The theme of the movie is, you know, this. I mean of this book, which actually is a movie by the way, the theme is evolution. You know, Darwin taught that if evolution is true, that animals are going to evolve at different rates in different places. And so theoretically there could be a place where there's... Still, cavemen, and that the evolution of humans didn't yet take place. Right? Today, we no longer have a secluded place on the planet, as far as we know. So, evolutionists deduce a place where evolution can be proven true and where different things evolve in different rates. And does anyone know what that's called? yeah, parallel universes, multiverse theory—that's an evolutionary theory. It's essentially creating a a world for for the cavemen or for the advanced aliens or something like that. Right. Now, I want you to just think about this real quick. This is not the worldview analysis section yet, but just think about this. If it is true that evolution takes place at different rates in different places, and then you travel around the world and you see different types of people, like. Chinese people, Asian people, black people, white people, blonde people, redhead people, brown people. What might you begin to deduce from your own sinful reason? And, that, and they don't necessarily have all the tools and instruments and, and uh, technologies that you have. You might begin to conclude that perhaps they're somewhere between the height of evolution and apes, yeah, and that's exactly what uh, Darwin taught. It's what Doyle believed as well. And when you read the story, and they get to the lost world, you're going to see they run into some less evolved humans, some cavemen, and um, and that that concept, of course, becomes one of the basic bases for genocide, for the Holocaust, for Hitler's um, attempt at creating a master race. He was trying to speed up evolution. And that was a very common belief in those particular times, which is why you have things like abortion, euthanasia, genocide, forced sterilization. Even in the United States, they sterilized thousands and thousands of white people in Appalachia. They would sterilize people that had mental disorders. This was all from the theory of Darwin. And that's, of course, what what Doyle believed as well. Um Challenger, of course, Professor Challenger, he is the brave scientist, the bold scientist. You going to come through? Yeah, yeah I'm going do. Who is challenging the status quo, tradition, and stubborn religion. Right? And Doyle, um, who writes this little thought experiment, um, is basically... Doing a what-if experiment on evolution. All right, so you got that. Let's move on to the setting. What are some what-if settings that you can think of? We got a journey to the center of the earth. Got the deep, dark recesses of the Amazon jungle. Benjamin. Um, two thousand, two thousand leagues. Oh, two thousand leagues under the sea, or twenty thousand leagues under the sea, Adeline. Basically, all of Marvel. All of Marvel movies? Yes. Back in time, that's a, a, a place. Or maybe in the future, mm-hmm. right? a multiverse. What about a combination of like medieval Celtic culture and dragons and fairies and, and goblins? That might be the same thing, actually. But <laughs> some, <laughs> sometimes they do, and I always find this fascinating. They'll, you'll have a future setting where they mix it with medieval art yeah. and technology. And I guess that's kind of like... What do they yeah, call that, steampunk, spaceship. something like that? Yeah, a pirate ship that travels through space. <laughs> yeah? So, yeah, that's good. His, of course, is the Amazon. That's his setting, right? And uh, I, the reason that's cool in a what-if story is that a, a fantasy setting, it just can really make a story kind of interesting. It can make it a story really interesting, like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. It's a, a made-up setting, and it, it, it adds a bit of magic and fantasy, but if you're trying to convince people of evolution, wouldn't it be persuasive to make it seem magical and fantastical and dreamy, like over the, the wild blue seas and land far off? You can, think, you can imagine kids wanting evolution to be true. I mean, wouldn't you want there to be a place where there's still dinosaurs? I mean, if we could all vote, I would want that. It's so cool. It's so interesting, right? All right of course, that... Us wanting it to be true doesn't make it true, but you can see how this story was very impactful in persuading many people of the plausibility of evolution. They at least maybe didn't have the evidence for it, and they still don't. But they wanted it to be true. All right. Well, let's specifically get into the worldview. We've already kind of jumped into it, but um, <clears throat> I knew. No, I know someone who did the DNA test. Have y'all done that? Anybody here? You send in like a swab or something of your spit and they, they send your information to the FBI or whatever. I don't know what they do with it, right? Put it in their uh, database for, for later. Well, I know someone that got their results back and they were 20% Neanderthal. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny, right? It's kind of funny. They're like 20% Neanderthal... Yeah, like the reason that's funny is because in your minds a Neanderthal is what a dumb dumb dumb. (laughs) because of all the stories you've grown up reading and learning about. See, Neanderthal man was actually you know a, uh, a fossil discovered in in Europe and a whole like mythology, a whole narrative was formed around Neanderthal man. They believed that they had finally you know found this this transitional figure between ape men and humans. But later you know they began to find that Neanderthal like farmed and made pottery and all the other things that all the other humans did. And so eventually they came to understand that Neanderthal man was just man, living in a particular place in a particular time. And we knew this, of course, as Christians. Um, Abel, Cain and Abel, right? Abel was what? What was his profession? A farmer. He was a, he was a, uh, was he a farmer or a shepherd? A shepherd. Yeah, he was into what's called husbandry, which is an advanced science, agricultural science. And y'all know enough about animals to know you can't just get an animal out of the jungle and turn that into a, a, a farm animal that reproduces meat on a, on a steady basis, it requires a long time and a lot of hard work. I mean, if you walked into the jungle and found some jungle bird, how long would it take you and all your friends to, to breed that and domesticate that and, and, and select different types in order to make it so fat that it would die in a day from any predator? And uh, not even be able to fly and make a single egg every single day for you to eat for breakfast. I mean, like, that would take a long time to turn that jungle, that skinny jungle bird into, chicken. into a chicken. The chickens have been domesticated by humans. It's an amazing thing, an ama- amazing providence of God. I mean, think about cows and, and sheep. Think about the animals that we eat. Think about your own dogs. Do y'all have dogs? Mm-hmm. Your dogs would not make it in the wild. I mean, some of them might, if you have a mutt. Like, if you have a good mutt, your mutt might make it for a little while. But more than likely, it's going to die of heartworms and various other types of worms or be killed by something within the year. <laughs> but there's coyotes everywhere. No one ever worms them. They don't go to the vet. And they're everywhere. I can go outside in my, in my yard and, and, and make a fake howling noise, and you can hear the coyotes. And it's because coyotes aren't domesticated. They're wild, but animals are domesticated because we wanted to turn wild dogs into pets that could hang out with our children. See, Abel was doing husbandry. Abel was was herding livestock, doing pasture rejuvenation and and grazing patterns and domestication. He wasn't a knuckle-dragging caveman that clubbed his wife over his head and spoke in grunts. He was very smart, probably much smarter than any of us today. I would, I would actually argue, and scientists can actually give evidence to the fact that our IQs are lower than the IQs of people in the past. Lower than Neanderthal man's IQs. And what did Cain do? What did Cain do? Come on, obviously you all know this answer. brother. Well, yes, he killed his brother. He was a farmer. He was a farmer, that's right. He wasn't a knuckle-dragging forest wanderer that lived off a handful of berries every day. He was like, huh, huh. No, he was a farmer. He knew how to, to cultivate, to, to fertilize, to plow, to clear land. It takes a lot of technology to farm. Now, it is true that in human history, there have been people in primitive societies where they don't farm. They just wander from one place to the next, consuming everything that they have there. But that's not because they have lower IQs. Does anyone know why that was and why that is? That's how they thought. <laughs> it's because of their thought. It's because of their worldview. They didn't have some of the beliefs in a positive future or linear history or the um, advance of cultural blessings and God's providence for the next generation that you get from Christianity. They had false worldviews and their worldviews caused them in many ways to not develop, to not progress. I mean, why is it that Japan, um, all the way up until, until English explorers got there, never used carts and wagons? Why is it they, they carry everything on their back and on their heads? Why didn't no one ever say, why don't we take this wheel? They had wheels and put it on something where we can put more stuff in it and use that. It's worldview. It's worldview. Why is it that when Columbus came here and the American Indians, why is it that they were destitute? Why is it that they didn't have steamboats and rockets? It wasn't because their IQs were lower or less evolved. It's because they didn't have Christianity. They didn't have the thoughts of Christianity that were infused into the ancient world and then spread about in various places by Jewish missionaries and later by Christian missionaries. Man was not... um, Old-fashioned and uh, ignorant and dumb, and now he's advanced. And In fact, in many ways, it's the opposite, right? The Bible tells us in the first few chapters, animal husbandry, agriculture, when were, when were mu- uh, musical instruments invented? First couple of chapters of Genesis, musical instruments, metallurgy. They're making metals and bringing out iron ore and, uh, and, and bronze and whatnot in some of the earliest chapters of Genesis. Building cities and towers. They were very smart and very advanced. Pre-flood man was probably way smarter than, than we are today, even though we have so many blessings from Christian civilization, right? So <clears throat> the story, though, and this is what I really want you to think about, does bring up an interesting topic. You know, what does it take to, to persuade someone of an inconvenient truth, something they don't want to hear, they don't really want to believe, right? Right? Can you think of something you that's hard to believe or you don't want to believe it or it's inconvenient for you? You probably can't think of that because to say it would to acknowledge that you're being stubborn. But, but I'm, let's just say you have a crush on a girl or a crush on a boy um, and you just are uh, infatuated. And then someone shows you the reason, the logic for why you should wait and and not stir up that crush too soon because... It's not going to go anywhere, and it's going to be unhelpful for you, and, and only going to lead to regret. And someone gives you the logical reasons for it, right? Maybe even the Bible verses. But those logical arguments and those Bible verses, they're inconvenient, right, to what you want to be true. You see what I mean? Like, what, how does someone get persuaded? Is someone persuaded with logical arguments and Bible verses, or are they persuaded perhaps by fear and pressure? Or are they persuaded by what they see with their eyes? Or are they persuaded by what they want to be true? What they want. In general. It's, it's, it's complicated. It's a complicated. And as a pastor, I think about these things all the time. I'm fascinated by which people believe me in certain areas and which people don't believe me in certain areas. And what is the difference? Like, are, is one group just smarter? No. Right? Very oftentimes, it's the, the dumber group that's more believable. Right? Or, or is one group just more literate or one group you know, more informed? You know, or is perhaps one group closer with me socially and they want my approval or I want their approval and so they're more likely to go along with what I say because they want to get along, go along to get along. Right? What is it that actually makes someone believe? It's interesting, right? The Bible tells us that um, some truths are hard to swallow. Paul says that in, in many places and times, sound doctrine is going to be hard to endure. Like, what does he mean? Why would it be hard to endure a teaching? Right? The earth is young. God is a trinity. Jesus came to earth on Christmas. He died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. He gave us promises. If we believe them, we can receive them. I mean, why are these truths hard to believe? Right? But they are hard to believe for a lot of people, right? A lot of people cannot endure them. I mean, there are, there are things that I have taught in the, in the church where even Christians cannot endure them. They don't like it. They get mad at me for saying it. Right? Can you think of any examples like that? i say, well, I've laid out the logical arguments. I've given you persuasion. I've even smiled while I did it using as best I can the rhetoric that I can muster, and yet you still won't believe. It's interesting. What makes someone believe? Especially a hard truth. What if I were to tell you that cremation in the Bible is not good? And that only witches and demon worshipers get cremated in the Bible. But then your mom was cremated. Is that going to be hard to believe? Yeah. Or one of your children died and you had them cremated and now you hear me saying that. What's more likely to happen? You believe me and the verses that I give you and the logic and the arguments or you get mad at me for saying that? (laughs) Or maybe you get sad (laughs) and disappointed. You're filled with self-loathing and regret. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like how do we come to believe what we believe? What does the Bible say is ultimately the source of belief? Does anyone know? The Holy Spirit. Spirit, That's right. Faith is a gift, right? Faith is a gift. If you believe, it's because you have a gift. And that's not just true the first time you believe something about Jesus. That's always true. Anytime you believe anything about Jesus or about the Bible, any one of the hard truths that are hard to endure, if you believe them, it's because God gave that to you as a gift. And I've, I've just come to be persuaded over the time that it's not just a gift that's put just inside of your heart. He sort of arranges your life to help you get there. You know what I mean? He brings friends into your life. I know one person that <clears throat> they knew that they, they needed to join a church and become a member of a church, but they didn't want to do it. They were afraid. And you know what they were afraid of? That they were never going to have anyone that they could drink a beer with again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what they didn't know is that just about everyone in our church drinks beers all the time. So they didn't know that. But they were like just, oh, I'm going to have to be with these super goody two-shoes righteous people. I know I'm supposed to. But, man, am I ever going to have any more fun in my life? And so they put it off. They put off joining because they had this fear that, they would, that all these people didn't have fun. And they were legalistic, judgmental weirdos. And, and and then they thought to themselves, well, I do know one person there that has fun and drinks beer. Okay, well, maybe I can party with him. All right. All right, I'll go ahead and join. See, but what is it that helped that person believe what was obviously true? God gave them that one friend to help them overcome their ignorance and their fear. I mean, the gift of faith is interesting. It comes in many ways. What if if you had a job, and if you believed something and you began to teach it, it would cost you your job? Hard to believe? Would that be hard to believe or easy to believe? It was a little hard to believe. Yeah. What if you, if you believed something and you had to say it to your friends or your family and you knew a lot of people were going to be mad at you for saying it? Wouldn't you put off believing that for a little while? I don't even want to hear it. I don't even want to hear it. Don't tell me about it. Don't want to know. you get to those particular pages in the Bible and skip over them real quick. Right? They're hard truths. Some truths are hard to swallow. They're inconvenient. Right? But, but what if, what if you had a picture. What if you had a picture of it? Like, a lot of people don't believe in Jesus' resurrection, but what if they had a picture? Would they believe then? Mm-hmm. You think they would believe it? They would say, no, no, it's a hoax. It's fake. It's fake, right? I mean, when, when Professor Challenger shows them the pterodactyl bone, does everyone believe? You're gonna find out at the end of the book. This is one of the most interesting things about this book, that even when he comes back with the journalist story, eyewitness accounts, photographs, it's gonna be interesting to see how people respond. I mean, what if he even came back with a live pterodactyl and the thing flew around the room? Would people believe at that point? It's interesting. What do you think is more what do you think leads people to believe? their brain and their eyes or their will and their heart. What do you think is more powerful in the in the decision? It's the will. I think it's the will and the heart. In in many ways you believe what you want to believe. We always we like to think of ourselves as objective and rational. I'll believe it if I see it. Well, no, you'll believe it if you want to believe it. Very much. And one of the gifts that God does for a Christian is He changes your will. He changes your will so that you want to believe the truth of his word. And you want to believe that his laws are the best for you. But when you have a crush on a boy or a girl, you don't want to believe. And no, nothing I say would ever persuade you of. Right? Till God teaches you the hard way. Then maybe you'll come around to it. You know, it's like trying to convince a pothead that, that uh, weed is bad for him. I've never, ever been able to persuade a pothead that weed is bad for him. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't want to believe it. He loves the pot too much. Logic can't cut through a stubborn will. Only the Spirit of God can cut through a stubborn will. Right? Um, What are the techniques? This is a follow-up question. When someone is having a stubborn will, digging their heels in, and they just don't want to hear it, even with a picture right in front of their face, the logic, the Bible arguments, everything, what are some of the techniques that people like that use to refuse to believe. Okay, we got fallacies, absolutely. Fallacies are various versions of lies. What they'll use are fallacies. And what are some of the fallacies that might be used? Uh, Adeline? An ad hominem attack. Oh, you're just, you're, you're a bad person. You're mean. You're arrogant. You're cruel. What you're saying is insensitive. <coughs> what else? Your motives are evil. You're up to no good. Red herrings. Yep, red herrings. Pee Pup, oh you don't know how that's gonna make me feel. You don't know what if I if I listen to that, you don't understand what's gonna go on in my life. Oh, do you know what? There's an imaginary person out there somewhere that if they heard that would be so offended by you. They would be so offended. I forget the name of that one. Maybe y'all can remember that one. Admis accordium? yeah, I think so. Good. Yeah, slip. Uh, if we, if I believe that, then what's next? Oh my goodness! If now we change our minds on this and we go into this, what's going to be next? What's going to be next year? Who's to say that we're not always just going to be turning and turning and changing and changing? Ah! Right. What else? What are some other fallacies? Ad baculum. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not going to believe this, and if you keep saying it, I'm going to hit you over the head with a stick. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> What else? What are some other fallacies that they might use? You got one for me? Um, the wagon one, bandwagon. The bandwagon, yeah, yeah. Uh, none of my friends believe this. I'm not, you know, I'm not jumping on that. You or you just want me to jump on that to join the bandwagon? One of my favorite ones is incredulity, and that one's just like I just can't even, right? They don't respond with an argument. They don't think about it. They're just like, no, 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 don't want to hear it. Can't, I can't even. I don't even want to hear it. I'm, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. I already know all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? What can you do when someone is refusing to believe and instead they're trying to attack the messenger or kill the messenger or attack your motives, your character, and engage in all sorts of fallacies? What can you do at that particular point? I mean, what should you do? What do you think? yeah pray for him that's right pray for him be patient only god here's the thing only god can open eyes right man it's cold and that's one of the things i want you to think about as you read this book i think i find this kind of interesting because you got these characters and they're all dealing with these amazing discoveries and the inconvenience of it all right And then the whole world and the news media is going to have to deal with these inconvenient truths. Now, the world is flipped back then. Most people back then believed in a creator God. So you have to pull out the principles from the story and not get sucked into the propaganda. But I do find it interesting um, as a thought experiment on how people believe things. Yes, Benjamin. Uh, Sure. Great addition to the lecture. Um, All right. Now... One last thing. When you're trying to persuade someone, you could use Doyle's technique as well. And I find this very helpful and very interesting. And it's the technique of the what if, or the thought experiment. They don't believe you, and believing you would be very inconvenient for them. They don't like it. It offends them. It makes them feel scared or anxious. But you could say, hey, hey, let's just... Okay, you don't have to believe me, but what if? What if? Let's imagine that this is true. Wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine God came to Earth, and He lived a perfect life, and that record can be given to you for free. Imagine if He died on the cross for your sins. Oh, I don't know a I believe. I don't know. I know. I know. I know. But just imagine if it were true. Wouldn't that be cool? All your sins forgiven. Wow, wouldn't you like that? Have a relationship with God? You can see how you can use this particular technique, not only for the gospel, but for any kind of inconvenient truth. Any kind of inconvenient truth. John Lennon, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. (laughs) He's using the what if to persuade people of his demonic atheism. (laughs) Very persuasive. But we can use that technique as well. While also trusting and knowing that only God can truly, deeply open eyes. But he can sometimes use your persuasion as a tool to open their eyes by the power of the Spirit. Right? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're done for today.